Can you believe it? This is our first show. It's our first show. Hopefully many. Hopefully it'll be uh, super popular and exciting to watch. Or it'll be a disaster. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of the way the world goes. Though. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. The world of investigations is always something different. It is. It is. It's always different. So um, I think we probably should let everybody know about the podcast and who we are since we're the this is our first um, first show. So um, it's called The Hod Pod. Um, very controversial name. Um, it was voted on by our employees at Hodson PI Investigation. So we had a long list. Some of them were really generic. Um, and, uh, some of them were interesting, but this got the most votes. I mean, by far, I think 90% of, um, 40 employees, uh, voted on it and they said it's gotta be the hod pod. So here we are. <laughs> well, I think it's catchy. I mean, it's it easy is. to say it's catchy. You don't have to, uh, easy to search. Yeah. You know? So the hod pod. So, uh, Hodson, uh, Hodson PI LLC investigations, uh, insurance defense investigations. We're sponsoring this wonderful podcast. And um, my name's Justin Hodson. Um, I'm the founder and lead investigator at Hodson PI. And we specialize in um, insurance defense claims investigations. We offer a, f a full uh, wide range of services. Um, and um, that's that's the company, but not get too deep into that. I've um, a little bit about me. Uh, Justin Hodson. I've been uh, conducting investigations for over 20 years now, a licensed investigator. And um, I, I consider myself a fairly good uh, private investigator. I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I've uh, been around and, and have seen it. And um, um, I, uh, I live in uh, the Temecula area, I'm married, and I got um, four wonderful children. Um, uh, being a dad and a husband, I think, um, is probably my number one and most important job. Um, but uh, yeah, um, Allison, tell us a little bit about Who it. am I? Who am I? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a partner at Hodson PI. I've been there six years now. So after law school, I decided to switch gears and found this world of private investigations and never looked back. So um, learned a lot from... Mr. Hodson here, um, especially during my interview when I said that you've been doing this for 35 years and, you know, the thought. Ooh. Ooh. And this was like, <laughs> I think this was probably six, seven years ago. And I had not had 20 years experience then. I think probably, you know, <laughs> a 14 years experience. And she goes like, you know, I'm very impressed with your 35 years experience. I was like, you think I'm that old? Like, what the heck? Well, I mean, you had less gray hair then. You know, I did. Um, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> well, I still got the job. So anyway, so here I am. Um, so we've really developed uh, our company. We've grown, gosh, I mean, what, three times as big as we were when we when I started, at least. So um, but that's great. I focus on uh, surveillance. Surveillance is kind of the main focus of what I do, as, along with some kind of niche um, investigations that involve legal, looking into legal research, looking into what we can obtain from, you know, public agencies, things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to have our first. Yeah, it's super exciting. Our first Super one. exciting. And you, um, you are, you're a law school graduate. Yeah. Yeah. What, what school again? Oh, yes. I went to Western State. 
yeah. College of Law in was in Fullerton, then they moved, but oldest law school in Orange County. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, like I said, Allison is a, a she's a pillar at Hodson PI, and um, I'm, I'm glad she's here. Like I uh, said, she was hired as an, just an investigative assistant, and she worked her way through the ranks, and um, now she's um, helping me do the uh, uh, big important stuff. So thank you, Allison, for all your hard work. So this podcast, we're going to talk about all kinds of good stuff that's involved in investigations and the hope is is that we can um, teach our clients or 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 uh, our clients and our, our attorneys, the insurance companies, we can teach them um, the inner workings of private investigations and the ethics, uh, some of the some of the laws. Although we are, even though that you went to law school, we're not attorneys and we can't give legal advice, but we can certainly tell you our opinions about um, investigations and the ins and outs, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So the hope is, is that we can educate a, a wide um, array of clients and maybe even investigators alike um, so that um, uh, we can make sure that investigations are done right. You know, one of the things that uh, I've been working on for the past 20 years is to really portray uh, private investigators um, um, in a different way that, you know, culture in the past has kind of shown investigators as kind of sneaky little guys, you know, looking in the curtains and that kind of stuff. That's not the case. Um, the, the vast majority of investigators that are out there are extremely professional, extremely ethical, follow a wide range of laws that we have to follow uh, to make sure that things are done legally and ethically. And so, um, Hopefully with this and um, the things that we're going to talk about, we can kind of portray that. So one of the first subjects, and this was... Well, uh, before you, before yeah. you go on, I think another thing we're trying to get across with this podcast is also to, uh, with even our clients, or we're, we're all a team, and we're just one part of the team. So even if it's going to be attorneys that are moving towards uh, either in litigation or moving towards trial, what can private investigations do for you um, that's going to make your case more well-rounded and that you don't have any surprises when you get there? Or if it's at the claims phase. I mean, at that point, um, there's a lot of unknowns. So again, coupling with a private investigator to do you know a couple different things that might be helpful for your case, whether that's going to be to settle it, whether that's going to be to uh, win at trial. I mean, those are the biggest things. And those are those are the best stories that we have is when our clients call us and say, we won or we the verdict was for us or we were able to settle the case. Um, those are the best stories that we can share. So I think teamwork, um, which is what our company portrays as being a team, um, we're just one part of the insurance defense team. Yeah, so. for sure. Oh, that's an excellent point. And um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, our subject of our first podcast is going to be, what's our subject? It's surveillance. Yeah. Of course. Yep. So uh, both you and I, we, um, you, you have on the back end, uh, the managing of surveillance, the um, uh, case management. I, with, uh, that's where I started from. Um, my first job, uh, Sub Rosa investigator, and I've been, I did that for a good Oh boy, uh, 15 years. Um, for those that don't know, Sabrosa surveillance, Sabrosa is a Latin term. It means um, 
behind the bush or under the rose bush. Um, and um, it just means conducting surveillance without being noticed or being intrusive or um, making sure that um, we're conducting um, a surveillance investigation without anyone knowing. So um, our first subject is surveillance, uh, subrosa surveillance investigations and ethics, I guess. Well, and, and I think you said something that was great with, with surveillance. We want to make sure that we are being we're not being intrusive, right? We're not impeding on anyone's, um, you know, expectation of privacy or rights or anything like that. And again, um, for us, we are Joe Schmo on the street, right? What can they see? And that's all we're doing. We're observing and we're reporting. That's right. it. That's, that's it. That's, yeah. It's as simple as that. It's very simple. Um, um, you know, it, it's, it's so simple. It's just observing and reporting. We don't interpret what we what we get, or we don't make opinions or judgments. Um, we record natural behavior. It's up to the attorneys, the claims adjusters, the doctors that are viewing these videos to make their... Um, the uh, juries, I mean... Or the jury. If it goes to jury trial, it's up to them to make their opinion about it. Our job is to collect information and report it back. And um, although it may sound simple, it's it's an important part of the process. And subrosa um, is an important part of the claims process. And um, so how is it used? How do we use uh, subrosa surveillance? Well, I think first- Or who, we, who, I guess, who uses it? Yeah, well, I mean, first, I think it goes to who could be, who could use this type of service, right? And for the most part, for our, for our company, uh, we do insurance defense. So that's going to be insurance companies. That's going to be the attorneys who work for the insurance companies. Those are going to be the main basis of- why they might want surveillance. And even, gosh, product liability cases, even those types of things, you know, we have to do surveillance based on whether the person has an injury or the product that is uh, at issue is still being used and and things like that. So there's there's more ways to be used than just one. Um, But what's so important for our clients is, I think, the time frame. I think sure. the time frame of doing surveillance is uh, of, of peak importance. And I don't know if you want to share like why that is as being a, you did surveillance for many years. So you were kind of the one who was out there in the field. Um, you know, I've done surveillance, what, three times, <laughs> sure. um, but I, I have a wealth of knowledge from learning from you, from uh, managing, I would say, well over 300 cases now sure. of surveillance. Um, so I've definitely kind of seen uh it go every way. Right. And we've caught some golden nuggets of information. Sure. Yeah. So I think that when it comes down to surveillance, if it's a claims adjuster or an attorney, or let's say a business comes out and hires us to do their own investigation, it really does depend on the type of claim, the need for that claim. Not all claims are going to need surveillance, right? So um, it really does depend on the initial research that the attorney or the um, claims adjuster um, does, and also their internal policies. You know, maybe they have certain cost restrictions or things like that. But in a perfect world, <laughs> so if I was <laughs> let's in a, live in the perfect yeah, world. <laughs> so let's live in a perfect world. I think um, that. Uh, an investigation, if you go, okay, hey, we need to do surveillance, you need to do it right away. Mm-hmm. 
that claim started, the person is making these outrageous claims um, that just don't seem right. Maybe you did a claims index search and you say, hey, this guy's got a lot of previous claims. Or you have other red flags on this individual that may warrant surveillance. Um, you need to do it right away. You need to start right away. You need to see what's going on. Get a day in the life, couple of days right away. And then as the claim progresses, you may want to do some additional days later on, maybe halfway through that, um, uh, maybe you're uh, right before midi um, uh, arbitration or mediation, you want to try to get another round of surveillance done. And then again, in a perfect world, let's say, unfortunately, your claim goes into litigation and you're going to go to trial. You want to get that surveillance done uh, before trial. In some cases, for the purpose of um, impeachment, and my attorney friends will know that, you might want to do surveillance during trial. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that would be in a perfect world. That would be the investigator's dream to be able to really um, build up that case uh, for them and get as much evidence. Again, we don't interpret that evidence. It's up to the uh, professionals to, um, and then ultimately for trial, a jury to interpret that that evidence that, that we obtain. Well, and you said something that really rung home for me uh, was a day in a life. What does that mean, right? So that's one of the most common conversations I have with our clients, uh, with attorneys or, or uh, claims adjusters or um, CEOs, companies, whoever we need to do. They're like, how many days? And I say, listen, <laughs> we need to have a day in a life for to show patterns, to show... Uh, what this person's life really looks like. And of course, we can always do one day. We can do two days. We will do whatever the budget allows us to do. However, I would say having um, multiple rounds over a span of time is going to be most beneficial because you can show progression. You can show that this wasn't just, oh, well, those two days, those two days I was feeling good. That claimant right. can say, I was feeling good those right. two days. Then the next week I had a, a complete, you know, I was in bed for four days. But if you show, hey, I did this, you know, for three days, one week, and then, you know, four weeks from then or two months from then we did another four days and they're doing the same thing. You you can show that this wasn't just a bout of, um, you know, it's a miracle. I'm I'm better. Yeah. Um, it's it's a progression over time that this person is either getting you know maybe they're getting better or that they are not telling the truth. Right. Um, and you said another interesting thing was basically not every claim may need this. Right. Um, that's completely true. Um, some claims uh, may not warrant surveillance, but I would say. I have a lot of people say hey, this was a nothing accident, and these, you know, the the claims are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. This was a tap rear end, um, and the person didn't go to the emergency room. I think that is a key. Um, we sure. get a lot of surveillance from hey that there was no doctor visit till months later. <laughs> right. That might be a key indicator. I think that I, I get a lot of the information from um, the adjusters. That is just that. It's like all of a sudden. Where did all of a sudden this is coming out? So maybe that's when you start looking at, okay, what do we need to do? What do right. we need to look at? Right. So, and so um, to advance the thought is that, so how does this, how is this going to help um, the claims adjuster? How's this going to help the attorney? Um, you know, it, again, in a perfect world, you want to get that, that really good evidence where there's, clearly something going on. They look, doctors look at the video, attorneys look at the video, 
and it goes to trial and you have this gotcha moment, right? But in reality, those are those don't happen very often. They don't, but uh, I would say the biggest nobody wants to be surprised. Sure. I think that's I think that's what it comes down to is I want to know what I'm getting into before I go there. Right. So even if we're not sure, even if there's a, a speculation of like maybe they really, you know, maybe this is real. This is we need to be prepared. Sure. And what does what does this person's life look like? Right. I think about so many cases um, because I, I usually do follow up and I, I get information from like what happened, what ended up uh, did it settle, did it go to trial, what was the verdict? And I would say for the for the most part, it's like what is this person gonna look like at trial? Right? right? Is this person gonna be wheeled in a wheelchair? Is this person going to come in with a cane? Right. Um, what are they what are they going to look like? Because I always say, I don't, and we're not attorneys. I don't want to go go into the law, but I want to say, how does it look, right. right? How does it look is going to be the biggest thing you have to think about because if it goes to trial, the jurors are the ones who are going to say, how does this look? Sure. <laughs> that right. is going to be uh, one of the biggest questions that they have. So I would say do surveillance and see what this person's doing. Right. And at least you're not surprised yeah. when it comes down to it. Rather, I'd rather be prepared. And right. if the person really is, you know, really struggling and uh, isn't going to work, isn't driving, then you want to know those things. Yeah. And we've we've done that. You know, we've... You think like, oh, okay, they're going out and doing surveillance. Sometimes we're showing like, hey, these people are really hurt. There's there's a legitimate thing going on here, and that provides information to the attorneys mm -hmm. and the adjusters. We're fact, uh, you know, I, I say fact finders in a sense of we observe and report. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we are in. The, we we are don't not... care which nope. way it goes. I we're gonna do a hard job, and we're gonna try to get as much evidence as possible, but. We it, we have no skin in the game. It doesn't matter to us if if the person is actually hurt or they're not telling the truth. You know, it it doesn't matter to us. Um, it clearly, you know, of course, it matters to our clients, and we're going to do a good job for them and collect that evidence. But um, so, um, you know, uh, talking about trial, going to trial can be um, not to take uh, any money away from our attorney friends, but trial can be an expensive. Uh, for uh, insurance companies and our and our um, adjuster clients, so surveillance can be used for mediations, for settlement conferences, for um, you know uh, arbitration. There's a lot of things that surveillance can be used before trial to save that expense because you're collecting information um, so that you can make that decision. Well, not only that, going to trial from you know my attorney friends is it is so much work yeah. i mean it is they have to put so much time and so much into their cases to be prepared for that um i think surveillance is such a great way to really get a a look at this person's life and what am i up against so i think you're completely right uh whether you start from i would say there's been a trend i would say post covid there's been a trend um with surveillance happening uh, sooner. Um, a lot of pre-litigation surveillance, uh, which I think is great because you're really getting ahead of the ball and that's that's kind of what you want to do. Sure. I mean, you want to get ahead of everything. You want to know surprises. I want to know what I'm getting, getting into before we get to the courtroom. Right. Uh, so that that's super important. Um, well, how are we doing on time? Oh wow! Already twenty-two minutes. Jeez. Oh,
Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let's <clears throat> okay. Let's start talking about some of the uh, implications for private investigators and adjusters and attorneys that are ordering surveillance. Um, as far as um, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the things that we have to watch out for? You know, um, as an experienced investigator, I can advise my clients like, hey, we, we shouldn't do this. This is why X, Y, and Z. Um, the adjusters and attorneys are not investigators. So they may not know about some of the pitfalls, either ethically or civil torts that come into play for invasion of privacy and things like that. So let's talk about that, um, you know, what are some of the pitfalls that come into play in surveillance? Well, I would start from the beginning of the assignment. Sure. The beginning of the assignment is the initial information you're provided. And as investigators, our job is to investigate, right? We want to be diligent and we want to make sure that the information that we're provided is the most accurate information so that we can set up our investigator who's in the field with the best possible information to get the best possible results. And I think that starts with sometimes uh, the information that we might get might be old because these, as we know, cases are going on for five, six years sometimes. Yeah, and data loss could have been two years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even more. I mean, we right. have cases still from 2015, 2016. Um, if they have depositions or if they have um, – uh, information they provided to the insurance company um, that is old, we have to make sure we're not sitting on a house that the person moved out of four years ago. Sure. Um, and I think that's the first step, and that can be a pitfall for, I would say, we're trying to educate investigators as well, um, is to really make sure the information you have is the best possible foot that you can, you know, the footing to get there. Um, that also goes with photos, right? What can we say about photos that we might find of the, Are you talking about social media photos? It, yes. The the ones that don't look anything like you? Have you seen the show Catfish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so you get a social media profile and you're like, wow, okay, this is a good looking person. And then you go out and do surveillance and go, they don't look anything like that. Nope. Well, and think about it. What are the photos you're putting online? They're going to be your best photos. Yeah. Believe me, I sure. have. I get it. I see pictures of myself from vacation and I go, that's not me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those are the photos that are <laughs> more candid. And yeah. That's what you're getting on surveillance. Sure. You know, you're going to get the person going to the grocery store at nine in the morning. They're not dolled up or, you know, maybe they're wearing sweatpants and slides and their hair is not done. So you have to be aware, like, you know, or their photos from 10 years ago. Right. I think mean, that's possible yeah. too. Um, so, you know, we usually do get some information from um, driver's licenses, things like that. But again, that's another problem. You know, like like I told you, my I would say mine is not accurate because, right. you know, sometimes you you gain or you lose or you, you know, sure. all those different things. So um, definitely not the same weight on my driver's license. No, I mean, and, and that's the thing as well, and especially post-COVID. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. I think we all put on some weight. Um, so sometimes, um, and that's that's just one of the things we just, as investigators, we we take what we have and we go and we say, okay, this is the person that's coming out of the house 
it could be the person. And we, you know, my team, because I manage the, the cases with the investigators, we all talk and we all make a decision whether we think that's the person and we have other clues, right? Yeah. So we use other context clues, whether it's the vehicle or uh, the people who are living there or if they go to the job they're supposed to be working at, you know, we make those connections. Right. So just that's like the first, I would say the first thing is that give the investigator as much information as possible, but we cannot rely on it because it could be incorrect. Right. Um, also, if someone's lying about their injuries, they may be lying about where they're living. Yeah, that's true. Um, One that's of the advantages of, uh, here's a Hudson PI plug. <laughs> One of the advantages of hiring Hudson PI is that we do, um, although we do ask for as much information as possible, we do pre-surveillance research. And so we try to um, really hard to uh, make sure that we have as much information as possible before we go out there. So one of the pitfalls, of course, is making sure that you have enough information. Um, I guess, you know, another one that we need to really um, is privacy. It's important. Mm -hmm. We need to respect um, everybody's privacy and um, understand that not only do uh, individuals have their right to privacy, but there's also laws that we need to follow uh, when it comes to privacy. Ethically, um, Hudson PI has really been a benchmark as far as um, ethics and privacy and respecting people's privacy and um, the individual's expectation of privacy. So I think that one of the pitfalls um, that we have in investigations is ensuring that investigator, the adjuster, and the attorney are, are respecting um, this individual's privacy um, and conducting their investigations uh, ethically and uh, within the law. So what are some of the, what are some of the pitfalls that we've had um, in surveillance when it comes to privacy? Well, I don't, well, I don't think it, we should say that we've had, I would say uh, with expectation of privacy, especially we train our investigators. Sure. So um, our investigators are very experienced. I would say most of them have at least seven to 10 years of experience. And with that, they are trained with what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And if they have a question, like I just got one this morning, you know, I had a question about um, filming and zooming and different things. And, and we dealt with it because they're like, hey, the, I'm just not sure. And so they'll ask questions if they're not sure if this is a place we can film or where we should be using Zoom capabilities, things like that. But it also, it all comes down to, I would say one of the biggest ones is someone in their own house, right? Um, a lot of the time that's where we're starting and that's where things are going to happen. So we need to make sure that we aren't, um, using or we're not doing surveillance in a way that we shouldn't be because sure. people are protected in their own house, right? Within that front door, within those windows, that's your yeah, space. Just because the windows are wide open doesn't mean you can zoom into their home no. and obtain video of them. No, no. that, that would be an invasive invasion. Now, of what about open garage working out in their home gym? Sure. What about that? Yeah, no, um, uh, that would be good. I think that that would be good. And let me tell you why. So it's expectation of privacy. Um, if you have your garage door open and it's wide open to the street, to the sidewalk, um, and it's viewable to anybody that goes back and forth, reasonably, you have no expectation of privacy. You shouldn't be walking around in your underwear in the garage, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> I would hope not, yeah. but, you know. So 
there's no expectation of privacy there. So um, can an investigator obtain a video of somebody inside their garage? Yes. Now, should they be utilizing enhancement devices? Um, when I say enhancement devices, I mean um, zoom lenses or devices that would get you um, video outside of a reasonable person's view. So the naked eye, right? That would be a, a good um, analogy is that, you know, if somebody walking by the street can see them, then you have no expectation of privacy. Um, well, investigators want... do need to be careful though. <laughs> yes. They need to be uh, very careful and they need to assess every situation um, because every situation is different. Yeah, exactly. And it's your, you said the key word, the key word is reasonableness, right? The reasonableness factor that basically covers almost everything. Uh, if the activity is meant to be private, then reasonably you should be taking reasonable steps to kind of make sure those things are private. But I think about that because, again, I, I keep talking about this post-COVID world, but a lot of people work out in their garage. I mean, home gyms are a huge thing. Um, a lot of people still do that. So um, that is definitely something that's been, I would say, uh, a lot of surveillance gets a lot of the home gym activity. Yeah. Um, so, and especially with the heat and right. they want the garage open, which right. uh, again, if somebody's walk, if your neighbor's walking down the street, they can see you. It's, it's not, again, the average Joe, right? The average Joe, what can they see? You're in plain view. That's, that's okay. Sure. Um, I think one of the other, well, speaking of gyms, right? Yeah. What about... 24-hour fitness or, right. you know what I mean? I'm just like thinking of just the gyms people go to, right? right? I mean, it's a private gym, isn't it? Well, <laughs> is it or is it not? So if if I can get a day pass to a gym, guess what? I'm a member of the gym. Mm -hmm. um, as long as that behavior is not deceptive. So that's very important is that investigators need to be honest and upfront and there should not be any deceptive behavior. Investigators shouldn't be ever ever, investigators should not pretend to be anybody else. They should not give false names. They shouldn't have fake social media profiles. And we'll talk about social media in another uh, episode. Um, but um, they can't pretext their way in there. But if I can go to a gym and I get a day pass, I am now a member of that gym for that day. And we talk about um, covert filming in, in gyms and if there's a reasonable expectation of privacy. Have you guys been on social media lately? You see how many gym videos there are <laughs> in social media? There's no expectation of privacy uh, in that gym. Um, there is expectation of privacy in a locker room in, a, in the gym. We, you know, investigators should absolutely 100% never film in any restrooms or, or lockers or anything like that. But out there on the floor, it's open game. Um, so, um, yes, you can film inside a gym. Uh, you should not sneak into a gym. You should get a day pass. Now, if it's a private gym without day passes, um, you're going to have some difficulty there. You're going to need to get permission from that gym to enter there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there's always a possibility that, uh, these certain gyms have restrictions on filming and things like that. So every investigator, every adjuster and attorney needs to keep those things in mind because you certainly don't want to submit evidence that was obtained unethically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's in this world of, uh, I would say technology and digital media and all of those things. Um, I think 
for gyms or let's say a bar or karaoke bar? Um, How many people are putting you on Snapchat? How many people are putting you on Instagram? I mean, that is just the way it is. How many, how many places that I go to that everyone's phone is out. So, you know, again, reasonableness. It's like, well, if you don't want your picture taken, you better make sure yeah. That you're looking around. But if again, a claimant is can't. at the karaoke bar, I really hope they don't think there's any privacy <laughs> no. there. That defeats the whole purpose of being at a karaoke bar. But, Ex- yeah. Exactly. So um, it's just reasonableness, knowing the rules, knowing what I, I will always go back to this is how does it look, right? Sure. How does it look? Um, you said in the very beginning is it, we don't want to – we're not the sneaky investigators. We're not those people um, that are being intrusive. We are – we are average Allison at the bar, yeah. and this is what I've seen. Right. Um, this is what I'm observing, and I mean, yeah. it's 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 okay. It's yeah. okay to have that. There there are a lot of uh, you know there's investigators out there that want to do a really good job for their client, but they one of the first things is that they need to um, if they want to do a really good job for their client, they need to really know the ethics. They need to know the law. Um, they need to understand that intrusiveness and respect of privacy are important things and um, really focus on on learning those um, those different things that are going to make you a better investigator. A lot of investigators that are out there, they think, well, you know, I want to be aggressive and I want to do a good job for my client. Do a good job by learning the law. Do a good job by getting yourself set straight in ethics and understand what's um what, what is important in surveillance investigations. I think that um, we covered a lot. I think we did, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, um, I think the only last touch I wanted to say on that, because like you said, we... The information and the film we're obtaining, eventually you have to think about this is going to go to trial. Let's just put that in your forefront of your head, that this is going to trial. It could. You have to testify to the information that you obtained. Right. And how I mean, you've testified many, many, many times yes. about your surveillance video, and and um, we have to stand behind those right. videos. So, how did you obtain them? Was it ethical? How does it look? Right. Um, perception. Perception is key. is key because those twelve people in the jury box are, have to decide on how they think it looks. Right. Right. Um, even if there's, even if you broke no laws, and even if you know they don't know the ethics of investigations. How does it look? Because that's all they're thinking about. Um, so that's just the one little key point I wanted to, to mention um, yeah. is that the end game, you might have a golden nugget of information that you that you got six months ago. And then you go, well, I didn't get that in a very good way. Right, right. <laughs> how, did, how did you get that information? You have to explain it. So if you're comfortable explaining how you obtain that information and you're comfortable that everyone else is going to agree with you, Okay, right. But that's that's you're the one who's on the stand. You're right. the one who's saying this is my video. Right. So, well, um, I think that this has been a good talk. Um, I've I hope that uh, our audience has learned something. And um, um, my name's Justin Hodson, and this has been the Hod Pod. Right. It's our first show. We're gonna. Wrap up our first show. I thank everybody. If um, anybody needs some additional information on the HodPod or Hodson PI, uh, I guess they can go to our website. Yeah. Hodson. We'll have it all linked. And- cool. Yeah. HodsonPI.com. H-O-D-S-O-N-P-I. Allison, thank you very much. This was fun. 
Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys uh, next episode. Yeah.